Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Where in the word are you today? It's Wednesday, so feel like, you know, in the, in the spirit of alliteration, where in the world are you on this Wednesday? I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Our Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. I will confess that as soon as I say that out loud uh, in my head, I begin to sing this verse because this is one of those verses that I learned early in my life um, as a song. And so, um, yeah. So First John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone loves it, knoweth God. Love him. Mm-hmm. See, he that knoweth God. Yeah. Well, anyway, you could look that up for something much better than the way I just did it. Here it is. First um, John 4, 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. First, let me begin by saying I appreciate being greeted by the writer of this letter as a dear friend. Who does Jesus call friends? Because the the community that received the gospel from the Apostle John, um, they understood other Christians to be their dear friends. And they understood friendship as something defined by Jesus. Remember, it's in John's gospel, the 15th chapter, where Jesus is speaking of friendship and love and the knowledge of God, all of which is wound up in this verse today. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. And anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So the theology of this verse is really um, an outward growth of Jesus' teaching in John chapter 15 where Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. But just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And so, when we read in today's verse, dear friends, let us continue to love one another, it's, it's intended that we hear this echo of the command of Christ. Love each other. Love one another as I have loved you. And how is it, my friend, that God has loved us in Christ? 
Well, Jesus explains it. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. And what has he just commanded? He's commanded love. Jesus goes on to say, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know the master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything, everything that I know about the Father, I have made known to you. Do you see how the knowledge of God, which is expressed in love, like anyone who does not love clearly doesn't know God. It's the evidence that you know God, that you would love. And how would you love? Well, the same way that Jesus loved. All right, so today's verse is really just this incredible expression of a theology of of love, a theology of friendship based in sacrificial love, and an understanding that um, if we don't love, then we're demonstrating that we don't know God. So, dear friend, friend in Christ, do you know that God loves you? Do you know that God is love? Do you know that in Christ, God sees you as a child and a friend? How will you respond to God? How will you follow the Holy Spirit today in this command of Christ to demonstrate love by keeping his command to do what? To love, to love others as God has demonstrated his love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is love. Not not just love that flows to the lovely or the lovable, but love that flows to the sinful who are dead in their sins, to the lost, to the lost causes, to the prodigals. Let us love today in the spirit of the one who calls us friends and sends us to love as extensions of his love demonstrated in Christ. That's a good word for the day. Our friend Jeff Bilbro is going to join us next. We're going to um, we're going to talk about uh, what you're feeling down there in your gut today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's uh, what's on fire in your heart? That's up next on Mornings with Carmen. Our friend Jeff Bilbro is uh, with us today. You can find him at Grove City College. You can also find him at the Front Porch Republic. That is where you connect with the Water Dipper. And we are going to um, read some of uh, what that what is posted on the Water Dipper today and read you in on some of these topics. Jeff, good morning. Good morning, Carmen. All right. So um, I know that we aren't really talking about what gives us heartburn but um, I'm using uh, that as my entree into the conversation about a burning stomach, a fickle globe. What is Nathan Beacon seeking to unpack here? Yeah, this is a really thoughtful essay, I think, in, in which he's trying to... So he uses his recent um, indigestion and sort of stomach difficulties and kind of winnowing down his diet to think through how do we love things that we know we will not be able to enjoy or uh, our enjoyment of them will be limited by, by loss. And so he kind of goes through uh, much, much bigger examples. The, 
try to get at this core question about how ought we to love a world that is that is perishing, that is um, that is being lost all the time. Yeah, and so if you've ever you know done like an elimination diet um, of any kind, yeah. um, this is kind of the conversation that. Uh, where he starts. I have a friend who's doing a 40 day sugar fast and she's like on day 23 or something. And, 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 um, you know, I do think that, I mean, if you've ever had to like wear an eye patch cause you injured your eye, like, right. Our value of the things that we literally take for granted, we literally salt is a good example, right? I totally yeah. take salt for granted. Um, uh, and so I, th- I think that's, it's just a good, it's a good provocative, um, spiritual exercise and really great topic of conversation. I mean, there's a reason that we talk about a land flowing with milk and honey, and it's because there are lands that are not flowing with milk and honey. Um, And so, uh, you know, in terms of understanding our place in the world and the privileges that we have, I'll just confess to you, Jeff, we don't often count the most um, basic of things as blessings and we should. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think Nathan talks about how Christian asceticism or self-denial like fasting should help us rightly love those kinds of mundane, uh, but, but priceless gifts that um, God's creation is always offering us. Yeah, it's really good. I really appreciated it. Um, Ross Douthat, I might be mispronouncing his name, and if so, you can, um, yeah. Um, So he's actually been on the show. We've talked with him on a couple of occasions. He is, he can be, among Christians, kind of a controversial figure. Um, But uh, this this conversation is actually about him, Isaac Chothier. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Chothier is uh, is the profiler here. And he is talking about Ross Douthat um, of of the New Yorker. And so, when we come back, can you um, can you talk with us about how how it is that we speak as conservatives in liberal context? And in this case, we know we're just going to use Ross as our exemplar here because he is a conservative voice. He does operate in a very liberal institutional context, um, and that means that he probably says things in ways that those of us who operate most of the time. Um, in in silos where everybody agrees with us, like we don't necessarily appreciate how careful you have to be um, sometimes in making your argument in in the context of a conversation where you know everyone does not agree with you. So Jeff, Bill Bro is here. We're going to unpack that next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do on the Faith Radio Network every day. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio Tons of free resources waiting for you to take advantage of and share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. Be sure to check us out on social media as well. Um, This is a community of believers, and we gather together here, and we all need prayer. And, well, we'd love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer. We pray for specific requests every single week when we gather on Tuesdays and Thursdays as a staff. So share your prayer request with us anonymously and securely on our website at MyFaithRadio.com and then be assured of our prayers for you in the spirit of Christ. Check it all out at MyFaithRadio.com.
All right, if you were to read the New York Times, which I know you probably aren't doing, but Ross Douthat is a columnist for the New York Times. Um, today's opinion piece uh, by Ross is pro-choice, pro-union. Donald Trump has a deal for you. Um, Ross writes from a conservative and from a Christian worldview, um, and he helps us to look at what's happening um, in in the world in which we live um, sometimes in ways that we don't want to see. Uh, and so, Jeff, talk with us a little bit about um, Ross Douthat and what we can learn from him as a conservative voice in a liberal institutional context. Yeah, I thought this was a really fascinating profile of Ross, who uh, who I really respect as a thinker. And as Isaac sort of highlights in this, he is very good at listening to people with whom he shares pretty fundamental disagreements and uh, working to then couch his own arguments, his own commitments, his own views in ways that build on whatever kinds of common ground he might be able to find, even if even if it seems like it's not going to be very much common ground. So I think he's a good model uh, in this polarized culture that we inhabit of how um, how to pursue conversations, pursue, pursue the goods of persuasion um, when it might be easier to just stop talking to, to uh, people on the other side of the issue. Yeah, I mean, recently he, um, he wrote a piece um, called Where Should Agnostics Go on Sundays? Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I just think that, you know, one of the things that he unpacks there is, you know, we don't we don't live in a a context anymore where the Christian worldview is dominant. Now, we all know that. I mean, we all know that. Um, but he unpacks it in a way that helps me actually see the world that other people are inhabiting right around me all the time, because I am still inhabiting a world dominated by Christ. Like, right? I'm living it in the midst of a people, um, a cultural context where that's just not true. Other people are getting up on Sunday and doing other things that I'm not doing, or I'm getting up on Sunday and doing something they're not doing. So where should agnostics go on Sunday? It's a good, I mean, it's a good provocative question. And if I want to um, genuinely reach people who don't already agree with me, I'm going to have to start going to some of the places where I would encounter them. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, you work in Christian radio. I teach at a Christian college, so it's easy for you know those of us in these kind of Christian subcultures to to forget that not 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 only not everybody, but in fact, most Americans do not uh, interact predominantly with Christians every day uh, in their their life and their work, their neighborhoods. So, uh, for those of us who, who kind of dwell in these spaces, I think it's really important to um yeah to engage with those from other cultural contexts within our who are who are all who are also our neighbors and um try to understand where they're coming from and and hone our ability to converse with them and offer them reasons why they might be persuaded by uh the christian account of reality i probably became um most familiar with ross when he wrote the decadent society yeah. Um, and uh, and so that's been, you know, it's been a, a couple of years ago now. Um, 
and if you if you're listening right now and you've never read anything that Ross has written, um, I think the decadent society, how we became the victims of our own success, uh, is probably uh, a good place to start in terms of unpacking how you make um, genuinely conservative arguments in, for um, conservative principles in a culture, in a society that has completely forgotten what that means. <laughs> Like completely forgotten even what the term um, means and what it would look like uh, to to be genuinely conservative today. So, yeah. Um, yeah, let's um let's press ahead because I I don't want to miss the opportunity to answer the question: Who left the barbarians in charge of our books? Yeah, I mean this is such a hot button issue these days and uh i thought brian eikema's uh piece from the canadian context was really good and in part you know he 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 gets past some of the um kind of superficial culture war stuff about um books and libraries to think you know what's the role of education and so many of these debates about books and school libraries really come down to fundamental disagreements regarding visions of uh, human good and what we're trying to raise our children to do. And when these visions are so incompatible, uh, we're going to have to find ways to, to stop kind of waging a zero sum war and just erasing um, our cultural heritage. I mean, he looks at some of these policies that are so obviously dumb um, because there are these intractable disagreements and eliminating books seems like the easy way to, to wage that war. All right, let's just quickly have the book conversation. Um, uh, there are probably terrible books on everybody's bookshelf. Publishers send me terrible books oh, all the yeah. time. Yep. Um, and and new books, new terrible books are being published every single day. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, I I just confess to you, you know, like I remember going to the school library as a kid. I mean, actually, like remember, like our class would all go to the library. You would check out a book or books, whatever. Um, you know, in the very, in the next week, you'd all go back to the library and you turn those in and you check out other books. Um, I don't remember that being, you know, like a particularly monitored thing. I don't remember, um, particular books necessarily being, you know, pushed or advocated. Maybe they were, maybe some kids were asking questions I wasn't asking. Um, you know, I was at the time thought I, you know, I loved animals. I thought I wanted to be a veterinarian. And so, you know, somewhere along the way I was, directed toward um, the yearling. I was directed toward, you know, uh, all things bright and beautiful, all things great and small. Um, you know, and, and and so I think to myself, I'm so glad those books were there. Those were the things I was interested in. Um, maybe there were kids asking questions about sexuality in the fifth grade uh, or fourth grade or third grade or whatever. And Mrs. Chestnut, you know, took them to a different section of the school library that I was not aware of. Um I guess I'm just one of those people that feels like availability is one thing. And and I do understand that there are some places and some people pushing, genuinely pushing an agenda on kids. But there's also an awful lot of books available for them to read that are not those terrible things. <laughs> yeah, that maybe we could find some some common ground where uh, kids could still have access to books. In this case, written before 2008, <laughs> that might still be valuable for them. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and, you know, Brian points out, like, books are are formative. Books are um, teaching us what to love and how to love. So these are 
really matters of ultimate concern, the books that we read. And um, we have to have those hard conversations about what people are for, how we should be formed, and and recognize that those do shape yeah, library stocking decisions ultimately. All right. So what is on your bookshelf? Um, hey, one of the things that you could do is you could, uh, if you want to be an influencer in this particular area, um, you could actually buy really good books and stock the little library that's probably outside that's right. your local school. Um, you can um, you can you can go and you can pre-buy all kinds of things when your school has a book fair and you can put them on a free table. Like you're allowed to do that. You can you can actually you can influence this in really positive ways. Um, you can yep. collaborate with teachers that you know. Um, and you can make sure that they have access to books in their classroom that um, that we want kids to, to be reading and have their hands on. So it's just become activated. Don't just become angry. Maybe that is my um, book conversation for the day. Amen, Carmen. Mm, there you go. Oh, I got a little amen from Jeff Bilbro. I'm, ha- I'm having a good day already. Jeff, um, as always, thank you, man. Thank you, Karen. <laughs> Let's go upwards with Max Lucado. Um, you might know the name Sam Brownback, uh, former um, ambassador for international religious freedom here in the United States of America. Um, Sam is denouncing in the strongest possible terms the unprovoked attack by Azerbaijan on peaceful Armenian Christians in a particular region, a contested region. Um, And so we want to lift up this situation as a cause for prayer today. Um, if If you pay attention to what's happening in the world and particularly what's happening to Christians in the world, and you understand that it's, it's, it's with other Christians that we're going to spend eternity. It's, it's not necessarily the people in your own, um, like, physical family. If they're not Christians, you're not spending eternity with them. Christian brothers and sisters who live in places around the world where they're literally being slaughtered for their faith, we're going to spend eternity with them. And they're going to know that we knew. That they are going to know when we meet each other in heaven as brothers and sisters in Christ. Like we knew we had access to this information and it was um, partly because of the foreign policy of our country, the United States of America, that um, genocide was brought to bear upon them. That's what's happening today. And you might say to yourself, Carmen, I don't want to hear this news. I don't I don't want to know that. Um, Yeah. Wanting not to know. Is it is is this not responsible for us as Christians in the world today? We do know, um, and so what do we do with that knowledge? What do we do with that knowledge? We start by praying, and then we advocate. Um, and so um, our friends at the Philos Project are certainly engaged in this conversation about what is happening with Christians in the Middle East. If you want to engage with them, you hear Luke Moon here frequently. You can engage um, at, at, with the Philos Project online at philosproject.org. There are all kinds of ministries active in, um, in the Middle East, in this part of the world. And, um, and there are Armenian Christians here in the United States of America. And so maybe reach out to, um, to an Armenian Christian church in your community. Maybe do a little research um, if there's a maybe there's an Armenian grocery store in your town, I got no idea. 
But do a little research and do a little reach out today. Um, Make other people aware that you are aware. I'm not going to close my eyes and say, I did not know. I am going to say, I knew, and I I did everything in my power. I prayed to God that you would be um, liberated, um, that you would be blessed, that your people would be fed, and and I and I and I did what I could um, to advocate on your behalf in the country that I lived in at the time. Like that's going to be the kingdom conversation. Uh, our friend Robert Nicholson at the Philos Project says we really do need a better U.S. strategy in the Near East. Um, you know, strong support for Israel. You're going to hear a lot of conversation about that. You already do. Arab allies. You're going to feel. You're going to hear a lot about um, our engagement in a railroad. Uh, and port initiative that is going to actually connect Saudi Arabia to Israel. It's an unprecedented step forward in the region. Um, That is happening in real time. Um, The Islamist regime in Iran is uh, absolutely celebrating uh, today, even as we celebrate that five Americans have finally come home, um, having been unjustly detained in Iran. um, Iran is celebrating that uh, they got the release of $6 billion in, in assets um, that were frozen in South Korea. They got that as a part of the uh, prisoner exchange. Oh, yes, and they got prisoners as well. So all of that is going on. Um, Armenia, Azerbaijan, Turkey um, have a quote-unquote peace deal, but that peace deal um, is going to see uh, borders in the region changed, and that those borders that would be changed um, – at this point, would uh, result in the genocide of the Christians living in the region. So um, if you're paying attention, that is in the headline news of the day. And let it be in the headline news of our hearts. Ruth Kramer is going to join us next. We're going to survey some other things happening around the world, bringing the mind of Christ to bear on the headline news of the day. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. There's a semi-autonomous Uh, region in northern Iraq called Kurdistan. And Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News is going to brief us in on something that has taken place there that is certainly of concern to those of us who are Christians. Ruth, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I am am well. I am well. Thank you. Tell us about Ishmael, Omar, and Mohammed. This is is a hard story. because on the other side, it, it, there's a lot of questions that are unanswered. Uh, Ishmael, Omar, and Muhammad are believers. They they have they were Muslim background believers, so uh, they are known in the community for a number of things. Um, they are known for being members of the community. They are known for their very open sharing of their faith, and they're known for leaving Islam. Um, they are normal men. Uh, these these guys are just uh, believers who have served in the military. One was a government worker, and, and the other guy is a car mechanic. And they uh, serve together in their local church. Um, what their work in gospel outreach drew some unwanted attention, um, and in uh, in the situation where they were together. 
uh, an assassin was able to find them and gun them down. Uh, this took place this week. This Some of the other details of the story are still being verified because there's a question of whether or not this is an actual situation of persecution or whether or not this is a political assassination. Um, regardless, these men were serving the Lord in their local body and um, and they are now with their, their Heavenly Father. They leave behind three widows and 11 children. Um, and in Kurdistan, there is no safety net. So these widows um, now have no provider at home, and the children have no one to uh, provide for them either. So this is a, a very difficult situation. It, as I said, it's still being investigated. So there are some question marks about, I guess, who is going to take care of some of those needs? The body of Christ is coming around them. Um, this is a, a an unnerving kind of a precedent because believers in the Christian community, especially those who've left Islam, are in shock. And they're wondering if these three key leaders were killed in, in such an open way, what could happen to me? Um, so I think in this situation, the person that we spoke to, there's a lot of security covering uh, the story itself. But uh, they're asking us to be praying for the local believers, that they'll have a spirit of boldness, that this situation um, wouldn't scare them into silence. Um, pray for the resources to take care of these families um, and continue to just pray that the Lord will use this situation um, to encourage the body of Christ. Uh, there's boldness in their response. There's boldness in their willingness to openly share their faith in an area that has not been particularly open to the gospel. Um, there's boldness in being willing to train some of the new believers, uh, to disciple new believers in Kurdistan. Um, and this this situation took place in Erbil. So you know the history of Erbil and all of the things that have been going on, and you know the challenges that the body of Christ is facing there, and they're just asking you to pray with them. Um, I just have a couple of, of reflections when you um, when you ask, you know, or when you share with us what they are known for, um, what these brothers in Christ, Ishmael, Omar, and Muhammad, what they're known for in their community. I think it provokes us to ask the question, like, what am I known for? Um, am I known for my good works? Am I known for my gospel outreach? Am I known um, for my conversion testimony? Um, and then the question that you um, that you shared with us, um, this, the question surrounding this as to whether this was a religious or um, or political assassination, I couldn't help but that just just ask. Like the same question was asked at the crucifixion of Jesus: Was this religious or was this a political execution? Like it's the same question. Um, and so I do think there's a there's as always, there's a gospel opportunity. Um, when you ask the question about who will care for those who are left behind, again, I I look to Jesus on the cross, who looks to his mother and points to his beloved disciple John and says, you know, woman, receive your son, and brother, receive your mother. Like, these are my mother and my brothers, those who do the will of God. There is a different family Um you know, among Christians. And so I hear you calling us to pray and to support those ministries that are um, going to be supporting these, our sisters and brothers in Christ, um, in a place that seems very far away. Um, we have a similar uh, challenge being faced by aid workers in Afghanistan. Can you talk with us about 
IAM, the International Assistant Mission uh, in Afghanistan and what has happened there? Yeah, um, again, this is one of those situations where the direct link into ministry is is there isn't one. Um, but it's it's showing you the context of what's happening in Afghanistan. 18 aid workers, including an American, have been detained in Afghanistan. Um, they are accused of inviting people to join Christianity. Um, and that's coming from a Taliban spokesperson. Um, the organization, the International Assistance Mission, uh, says they don't really know the charges that have been filed against the team. There's an ongoing discussion between the U.S., the uh, IAM, and um, and the Taliban to try to get these workers released. Now, the intersection here and why we covered this story is because of Heart for Iran and their specific focus on Afghanistan. Um, they saw the needs that were coming out as the Taliban swept through Afghanistan in the in the wake of the U.S. pullout. And um, there were so many people who were desperately searching for hope that they began to form a new ministry under the auspices of Heart for Iran to try to meet some of these needs in Afghanistan. So these partners are the uh, Ibrahimis. The um, uh, husband is Hossein and the wife is Shanaz. And uh, they have been working specifically under Heart for Iran to reach uh, folks who are reaching out to them in Afghanistan searching for hope. Um, it's a really hard place right now because the governance in, in under Taliban really doesn't uh, allow any room for the gospel. In fact, they've denied that there are any Christians in Afghanistan and they're doing their best to wipe them out completely. Um, but that means that there is a remnant and it is deep underground. There are people who are actively searching for Jesus Christ and they're going to um, Heart for Iran through the uh, the Afghan Afghanistan ministry to try to get some answers there. Um, there's a prayer ministry there. There's a media ministry there. And uh, people are pointing these these questioners to Jesus Christ. Uh, as a result, even though the Taliban is really putting a lot of pressure on uh, the cities in Afghanistan, people are accepting Christ more now than before um, because of just the, the the disparity between what they're being told under the Taliban and what they're finding in the word of Jesus Christ, in the word of God through Jesus Christ. So continue to pray. Heart for Iran and its Afghanistan uh, sub-ministry is making uh, uh, a lot of inroads in places that are impossible for the traditional missionary to traverse right now. Um, continue to pray that uh, their gospel access that they're providing in Afghanistan continues through the digital media ministry, that uh, they won't get blocked, um, and that the resources find their way into the hands of people who need them, and continue to pray for a change in in Taliban. God can change hearts. He can change uh, the hardest hearts. And we've seen that uh, time and time again, not only in the stories that we're hearing about coming through these ministries, but it, there's precedent set in, in Scripture. It's, it's documented in Scripture. So we can pray and hope towards that, uh, that God is doing something mighty in Afghanistan and, and even through Taliban. Father, we come before you as brothers and sisters in Christ, and we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. We pray very specifically right now um, for the Ebrahimis um, and for the Ministry of Heart for Iran. Um, we pray for those who have been taken captive by the Taliban. 
Father, we pray for endurance. We pray for opportunity. We pray for protection. We pray for refuge and strength. We pray for inroads for the gospel. We pray for miracles. We pray for a radical change of heart and mind and even regime. Um, We recognize your goodness and your grace and your sovereignty, and we pray your will be done on earth today as it is in heaven. Give this day daily bread to those who um, are hungry and send forth your word. We, We absolutely acknowledge and celebrate that it does not return void. And so, Father, thank you for the gift of the knowledge of Jesus, and thank you for the great commission that sends us to bear his great and good news to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to continue our conversation uh, here in just a moment with Ruth Kramer. You can find everything we're talking about today at Mission Network News, um, missionnews.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. You may not think of yourself as a courageous world changer, but you are. Sometimes fear rules the day and keeps us from identifying in these ways. But when you step out in faith and decide to take action in the moment, living this day in light of that day, in light of eternity, you change the world. Mornings with Carmen is part of listener-supported Faith Radio. This content is only available because of your support. The impact on people's lives, the reach around the world, it all happens because you stand up to make a difference. Now is your time. So take the next step and be bold by joining the support team. Click the link in the show notes or go to MyFaithRadio.com and make this day count for that day. We've all been uh, watching with Oh, just deep grief. The unfolding events in, in Libya, uh, the, the catastrophic flooding that resulted um, now in a death toll over 11,000 projected to continue to rise as uh, another 10,000 people are still missing. Um, Ruth Kramer is here from Mission Network News. Ruth, um, maybe brief us in on what is uh, happening in the wake of the floods in Libya. These are historic floods. I think this particular flood is the worst in North Africa, um, probably in the last, I don't know, since they've been keeping track. Um, according to some of the, the statistics that I've been looking at, it's it's really among the top 10, 20 of the deadliest floods worldwide since the turn of the century, since 1900. So you can imagine with something like this, how uh the devastation that's taking place and and how it took place you know it's it's a couple of uh uh dams that were deteriorated and uncared for that finally gave way and the city of derna was completely flooded and and thousands are missing now um in the wake of of that you had initial estimates of death tolls that were you know 11,000 and then as the aid group started getting in there they revised it sharply downward that doesn't mean necessarily that the numbers were that off it means that they found x number of people and that there are several thousand who are missing um, so the the situation is complex because Libya's government, such as it is, has turned away aid groups that are coming in. So they've turned away like United Nations. They've turned away international aid uh, coming in. Weirdly, 
the rebel groups that had been kind of picking at each other and fighting uh, up in the hills have uh, their small militias. They've actually banded together to provide some of the relief aid that isn't getting into the survivors. Um, so I guess there's a silver lining there. But ministry in Libya is very, very difficult because it's one of those places that's really hard uh, in terms of the gospel. It's it's so extreme in its Islamist beliefs that um, uh, Christian organizations have experienced a lot of persecution, a lot of um, oppression, and uh, been denied entrance into, into the country. So the, the church there is deeply underground. Um, it means that there isn't a standing network in place to respond as we've seen in other places where you've had, like Turkey, where you had massive uh, crisis happen and the church network is in place. And so when aid comes in, it is efficiently uh, distributed and quickly, uh, much quicker than what can ha- usually happen with international aid. In Libya, it's not that way. Libya is basically a failed state. So the governance is sort of whoever's the strong man. You've you've got this kind of a a, a tribal kind of uh, uh, an overlay on top of everything, which complicates, you know, any kind of response. Um, and and people are very angry over this because they felt like, um, you know, it was the government's fault for not tending to uh, the the dams to make sure that they were going to be safe. They probably knew that things were deteriorating and didn't do anything about it. They weren't giving and given any warning prior to the collapses of of these dams. And then um, uh, they were given a stay-at-home order instead of evacuating. So they are furious with the the government for basically not taking care of them, not honoring the the uh, vow of office that uh, that they took, and they took it out on the, the mayor in Derna. So they burned his house to the ground. Um, there's a lot of uh, frustration. There's a lot of turnover in what is left of the government. The council has been sacked altogether. So really, you know, it, it's a kind of a free-for-all right now. Um, in this state, you know, ministries are, are not necessarily going to be allowed in to provide much of anything. So a lot of the mm-hmm. ministry that's coming into Libya is coming in through digital media. And that's where Sat7 comes in because they know in these kinds of situations, aside from meeting those physical needs, the spiritual needs and the emotional needs are already on the rise. And tragedies like these, this have people um, asking really hard questions. So they they have hard questions. They go they go to the religious leaders, and um, and those religious leaders don't really have much to add that that provides them comfort. So they start asking other questions like, what does the Christian Bible have to say about this? And that's where Sat7 comes in because it provides biblically-based programming that gives hope to people who are searching for answers, that gives people hope because they they are desperately searching for this. In the day in, day out right now in Libya, um, there's a lot of confusion and despair, and they just want something that is that is going to be constant, that will be the same tomorrow that it was today, and it's going to be the same um, always. Those answers are always going to be the same. Mm-hmm. They're finding it through Jesus Christ. They're finding, uh, you know, Sat7 is, is hearing from people in Libya who are able to um, to ask a lot more questions now um, because they, they are finding some of those answers. Um, so, you know, it, we're talking about grief. We're talking about mm-hmm. uh, a Jeez. long process of trying to recover. Incredible loss. It's it's uh it's an incredibly devastating um situation. 
Um, I know that uh, Voice of the Martyrs uh, likewise is um, uh, offering online support, particularly to, you know, as you say, to Christians who are there, um, where the church is deeply underground. Um, And so just, you know, we're just, we're praying. We're praying that God would use even this, right? Um, God would use even this. Um, we got we got like a minute to brief people in on Morocco. It's been uh, over a week since the huge earthquake there killed more than three thousand people. Um, what what's uh, Trans World Radio? Um, how are they engaged? And what's happening in Morocco is very similar to what's happening in Libya. Um, the church is deeply underground. Uh, Morocco is a hard place to sow the gospel. Islam is the official state religion, and there's severe persecution. Transworld Radio is sending in SD cards, like uh, the scripture on SD cards. So they're small, um, and they're, they just hold a lot of information, and they can be secreted in uh, without drawing too much unwanted attention as, as uh, other things are happening there. Aid is getting in. Transworld Radio is not an aid organization. They are a media organization that sometimes is able to turn uh, their their networks into something where you can channel some aid through them. But in this case, that's not going to be the, the situation. What they're saying is they can provide ne- uh, for these spiritual needs that are that are beginning to emerge in in, in Morocco, and God's word is is massive they're they're providing access to god's word in their heart language which will um really turn things around as people are searching for meaning as people are searching for hope as people begin to ask why is god angry with us and and they'll find some answers in scripture because um that's one of the the common questions the another common question with this kind of thing is um uh it does god exist why would he let this happen if god exists and and you'll find some quest- answers to those kinds of questions. Transworld Radio also has programming that will help people begin to understand what they're finding in God's Word. So continue to pray for the ministry there. It is absolutely effective, and um and and just pray for more access. And you can connect um, with Transworld uh, Radio and each ministry that we have talked about today um, through the articles that are posted at missionnews.org. Ruth, as always, thank you. Um, thank you for briefing us in. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right, what are you wearing? Yep, what are you wearing? Uh, you're going to say to yourself, Carmen has lost her mind. Why does she want to know what I'm wearing? Well, the Senate... The U.S. Senate has um, amended its dress code in order that one particular senator can wear his trademark casual attire, um, which includes hoodies and shorts on the Senate floor. Um, and, and you know, there's a lot of response, some of it um, unhelpful, uh, some of it about decorum and, um, you know, positive conversations about respect. I'm going to ask this. What are you wearing? Have you put on Christ today? What are you wearing out there into the world that God so loves? Have you put on Christ today? Have you put on the full armor of God today? What are you wearing? And over all of that, have you put on love? Let's not let our Christianity be a put on. Let's put on Christ today as we get out there into the world that he so loves. We've got another hour together up next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.